Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donya Keating, coming to you live from the Seattle area about 2 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, November 12th. Listeners, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak so we know you're out there. If you want to send us a comment via the chat feature, you can open that up and go. Uh, Chris will shoot our, your questions to us, and we'll try to get to them as soon as we can. And uh, as we've said before in previous shows, it's kind of a little bit of a wonky tool, so you might have to have a Blog Talk Radio account, um, but give it a shot. So today, you know, that frog, you know, it sits in a pot, it's cold or lukewarm water, enjoying life, just clueless that the water's progressively getting hot, ready to cook that bloody thing, and it's oblivious to danger. So we're not going to be that person. We're not going to be the frog today, and that is why we're going to talk about leads. LEADS is short for Law Enforcement Access to Data Stored Abroad Act. No, it's a mouthful, but we'll just stick with LEADS. And it's why we're going to get out of that pot, but we're going to turn the heat up a little bit to affect critical changes that are needed in our legal infrastructure. And frankly, it's uh, how we do business as a nation that's going to be impacted. So um, joining us today, I think we're going to have my trustful, trusty uh, sidekick, semi-faithful sidekick, which is Charles Keating. Um, and then we also have uh, Jonathan Freebert from Voices for Innovation. If you're out there, welcome to both of you. Hi. Thank, Thank you for having me. Okay, you guys are there, all right. Um, just for both of you, let's do a quick round robin. Tell us a little bit about yourselves personally and professionally. Doesn't have to be extensive, just some highlights. Let's start with you, Charles. Uh Charles Keating. I've run West Sound Technology Association uh since two thousand nine. I've been on the board since two thousand three and uh, so uh, very plugged into the community here and working in policy and legal and I also run my own IT consulting firm. And I've been in the tech, have a, had a tech career for over 30 years. And Jonathan? Uh, thank you, Donia. Uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, my name is Jonathan Freebert, and I am Director of External Affairs for Microsoft and run the uh, Voices for Innovation community. Uh, we're a community of Microsoft uh, partners as well as other uh, technology professor, professionals, as well as anybody who cares about uh, public policies that impact the technology sector. And I look forward to a great conversation today. And thank, thank you for that, because one of the first questions that shot through here um, was from someone that said, you know, what is it, and do I have to be uh, a Microsofty, or do I have to be a partner in order to be a member and or partake? And so if you're listening, you know, your question the answer is no. You, anybody can uh, do that. So Jonathan made that clear. So let's talk about a little bit more about Voices for Innovation, or we're going to call it VFI today. Um, tell us when it was formed. Tell us why. Uh, tell us some of the initiatives and successes that you guys have had. Great. Thank you. So uh, Voices for Innovation was formed about 10 years ago 
And basically the idea behind it is to create a community where public policy, technology, and business intersect. Uh, We want to help, in particular, our Microsoft partners and specifically small business partners have a voice in some of the critical issues that are being discussed that impact not only Microsoft, but impact uh, the technology sector, your customers, and consumers as a whole. So the community, like I said, has been around for 10 years. Uh, We have uh, close to uh, almost 90,000 participants in the community throughout the U.S. We're really focused on, on the U.S., uh, and what we want to do is, you know, we want to keep people informed and then give them the opportunity to engage on some of these important issues. So, you know, Donya mentioned the LEADS Act, and cloud privacy is certainly an issue of focus today. But we also get involved in a number of other issues. For example, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, STEM education. You know, there, there is a talent gap in this country uh, currently, and certainly going into the future, where we need to have more uh, computer science folks, uh, people with computer science background, but also people who have tech- technology acumen to fill some of the jobs that are going to be open in our economy going forward. So that's an issue that we focus on. Uh, another issue that we focus on uh, concerns patents and ensuring that uh, IP gets protected. Uh, A number of our Microsoft partners uh, have patents or care about protecting IP, and we feel like, you know, the IP IP is a cornerstone to innovation and moving the economy forward. Uh, So those are just a couple of of examples of issues that we we have also focused on. Okay. And, Charles, you're obviously uh, a participant in VFI. Uh, Why don't you just give us a a brief sketch of, from your perspective, why VFI has been of value to you as a small business person and also as um, the leader of a technology association? Well, uh, first off, as a small business, I think we have the same concerns as large business in that we want our information protected. We want to promote an innovation economy. I think one of the things that you know, small businesses can really benefit from an innovation-based economy because they have alternatives. So they need to be able to be competitive. And I think being able to leverage cloud technologies allows small business to access markets and do things just that, that normally would only be available to big businesses. So I think with VFI, VFI provides that aggregated voice that allows um, businesses that are small to be able to have an effect in policy. And I think that that's a key thing. And of course, uh, it's the same, like I say, same concerns as big business. Um, VFI has provided that, that key avenue for aggregating and pro- providing the, the voice that, that leads the innovation conversation. We really need to have our laws catch up with where technology is moving. In fact, I think they need to skate to where the puck's going, and that's that's a, that's probably going to be part of this conversation, and that's a huge order of business. So, mm-hmm. so if you just joined us, we're talking about LEADS, Law Enforcement Access to Data Stored Abroad Act. 
and we are speaking with Jonathan Freebert uh, with Voices for Innovation and Charles Keating. So, Jonathan, let's talk about Leeds. Uh, tell us about uh, when it was introduced, uh, some of the co-sponsors or sponsors in the House and Senate. I think a good part that uh, some people probably don't know is that it has strong bipartisan support, which is a good and very rare thing. Um, but talk to us about why it's important, and uh, then we'll move on into some recent developments. Great, thank you. And, and let me start by saying, let me, let me just maybe start by saying a, a broader table, so to speak. Um, so what LEADS is about is about modernizing outdated laws. So as, as Charles uh, referenced when he, was, when he was talking about this, you know, we have a, what I would say, you know, a really murky la legal landscape when it comes to how data gets, um, gets managed uh, by governments. And what that has led to is really, you know, confusion, confusion by customers and confusion by companies because they're not sure of their responsibilities. And, and really, you, you know, when you think about small businesses and, and even, you know, large businesses like Microsoft, we're, we're unable to assure our customers that their data will be uniformly protected. Uh, and that's really the issue at stake. You know, our, our uh, data privacy laws have not been updated in almost 30 years, going back to 1986. Mm -hmm. And if you think about like what the technology was in 1986, it's you know very different today. And so, really, what's going on in Congress is uh, there's there are two bills. Um, so first uh, is ECPA, Electronic um, Communications Privacy Act, ECPA, and that's the bill that I'm referring to that hasn't been updated in, in 30 years. So there's an ECPA reform bill that's been introduced in this Congress, and that really deals with more of the domestic concerns when it comes to law enforcement and, and balancing really law enforcement needs to be able to conduct investigations with the, with the Fourth Amendment uh, protections that are built into our Constitution to protect us as citizens from unlawful search and seizure. And really, if I could boil it down very simply for, for folks, it's that, you know, the belief that personal information stored in the cloud deserves the same privacy protections as personal information stored on paper. That's really what we're talking about here. Uh, does, does, you know, analog data that you maybe put in your file cabinet uh, get, the, get the same protections as data that you're storing in the cloud? We say yes. I mean, essentially, yes, that should be the case. So you have ECPA that deals with domestic, and then you have the LEADS Act. Because when you think about it, you know, in the day and age that we live in, digital content is borderless. You can store digital content, you know, potentially anywhere in the world. And so what LEADS does is addresses some of the gaps that ECPA doesn't cover. And so again, LEADS was introduced in this Congress, uh, and as Donia referenced, it has some strong bipartisan support. Um, it's introduced both in the Senate and in the House. Uh, in the Senate, it has 13 co-sponsors, which is, which is great, but we're trying to build additional people to sponsor the bill. And then in the House, it has over 110 co-sponsors, and again, you know, we're trying to build up more support for the bill. And really what the bill does is it really goes about clarifying that customer content stored in the U.S. may only be obtained by a search warrant. 
So that goes to that Fourth Amendment right. Two, that warrants that are, are, are not sufficient to obtain data that's stored abroad unless certain conditions are met. And that three, there's, we, have tr we have a treaty process in place. So it recommends some, some changes to the treaty process so that governments that are seeking content through other governments can do so in a timely manner. So again, the whole idea behind this bill is to balance that trust and, and ensuring that your data stored in the cloud is private with the needs of law enforcement to conduct in investigations and you know, to protect us as citizens. And you know, this is uh, this really started back in September 2015. It was a U.S. Court of Appeals hearing, and uh, Microsoft challenged the U.S. because they were requesting private data that was held in Ireland, uh, and the U.S. government wanted to assert its right and, and that of other nations to access data beyond national borders and to get access to that information, which was really a threat of privacy and confidentiality. And you know, one of the reasons why we are involved is because we know that it erodes trust in technology. And as people lose tech, you know, confidence in their right to privacy, it also impacts small and medium businesses who provide cloud computing solutions to clients, but also um, other nations. You know, they, began, they may begin to build their own cloud solutions because ours can't be trusted to protect their citizens' privacy. And so you know, American companies that are operating at the global scale can suffer really catastrophic results. And that's really you know, an emphasis on why leads is so um, very important to, to do that. So um, some of the things that we're talking about today will be about trust in tech. That's a hashtag you'll see a lot of, of out there. We encourage you to use trust in tech, you know, to get that message out there that we really want what's, you know, some, some digital communications, um, ensuring that data that it receives the same privacy protections as, as Jonathan said, paper letters, documents, search warrants, and, and so forth. So, um, Charles, what are some of your thoughts about uh, leads and some of the work that's gone into that and some of your involvement? Uh, we, we just went to Washington, D.C. Um, at the invitation of Microsoft and VFI to advocate for that. Well, I think it's, I think it's well thought out, and it is definitely the complement to ECBA, and apparently ECBA's got a lot of support domestically already, and it's just part of the legislative process that they don't necessarily want to, you know, put the two together, even though it would make a lot of sense. You know, protect your data, you know, domestically and provide the same mechanisms so that people overseas, their data can be accessed through me mechanisms that make it just, is the, we're treating, we're treating foreign citizens with data in foreign data centers the same as we're treating U.S. citizens in U.S. data centers. And if, they, if they're crossed, then we, we have a mechanism to deal with that because, again, the, the, the borderless nature of the Internet. We need to take leadership, and I think these acts uh, obviously do that. And I think they're going to be carefully watched overseas to say, are we going to trust the Americans with our data? You know, they have to pass laws that, that prove that they want to protect data privacy. And I hope that it happens very quickly. So I... I Fortunately, when we went to D.C., you know, our, our, both of our senators and uh, our Congressman Derek Kilmer, they were both on board. So Senator Murray and Senator Cantwell and Congressman Derek Kilmer were, were all co-sponsors of this bill. So uh, we, we had it easy. But I guess in a lot of ways we were saying to them, okay, tell us about who's not on board yet and how we can work with them because that's really you know, the next step because we really need to get these things done as soon as possible. And unfortunately – that's not the way Congress usually works. As soon as possible, as usually can be a quite lengthy process. And unfortunately, I don't think we can wait. Um, 
there was a recent uh, announcement, I guess it just came down today or the other day, about doing yes, data right. localization for European data. Yeah, that is that is the beginning of uh, a change that's going to be very detrimental to the efficiencies that we want to create with the cloud. If we start requiring, like, all EU data be held in the EU and all, you know, Asian data be held in Asian data centers and all African data on African data centers, if it starts fragmenting, then um, it's going to it's going to diminish some of the benefits that we're creating in the cloud services. Um, you know, it may not impact the small businesses as much, but it will certainly impact. I, I think indirectly it will because the efficiencies that we gain with the cloud aren't going to be as as strong if we can't leverage uh, internationally uh, the same user base. And you know, the so. big that was big news yesterday. And if for people that don't know what that is, um, Microsoft was offering its EU customers the um, option of storing their their cloud data in Germany, and it was to address concerns about the security of data centers in the U.S. Following reports of U.S. surveillance uh, by you know by intelligence agents, and so the data that the customers enter into internet-based Microsoft software for office and business apps. Uh, will be stored in two data centers in uh, shepherded by Deutsche Telekom DT, uh, which is their largest telecommunications group. And then, of course, you know there's some other protections that go in there, where Microsoft is going to be granted access to that data only if it's given permission by the customer or by DT um, or its subsidiary. And then it will control access to that data if they grant it only under the supervision. Uh, so that they won't have, you know, just uh, unimpeded access. And then they also talked about Microsoft in, the, in uh, I think it was yesterday's news, that they have plans to offer cloud services from UK-based data centers. Um, and, and, you know, so, and this kind of, kind of comes weeks after the European Court of Justice struck down an agreement between the U.S. and European Union that had allowed the transfer of Europeans' personal data to the U.S. And so it's kind of like the safe harbor pact um, that violated the privacy rights of apparently of Europeans by exposing them to indiscriminate, you know, Know, surveillance by the U.S. government, according to the court. So, Jonathan, do you want to talk about that announcement and uh, some other recent developments as a as a response? I'm um, sure. Let me let me do one thing first. I just wanted to put something into into context about, and it's something um, you know we we touched on a little bit. But uh, you know, this country, when you when you think about it, and you go back, um, you know, we've always had to balance technological advances and think about how we interpret our civil liberties. Mm -hmm. And so when I present on this, there, there's, a, there's a slide that I use that has an envelope and then the telegraph and then a, and a computer. And, and just to put again into, in this into context, because I think it's important. You know, in the early 1800s, when our postal services were being developed, literally, you, you, know, you were handling, uh, handing the government your documents. But if you put it in a sealed envelope, it was considered private, and the government couldn't open the envelope without obtaining a warrant. You know, that, that's kind of how those, those civil liberties were interpreted. And then, you know, when the telegraph came along in the early 1800s, and Thomas Morse invented the software for it, the Morse code, you know, it made it very useful. But when you were sending your message... You weren't sending that in a sealed envelope, but you were at times, you know, giving so, giving your message for someone to tap it out using the Morse code, and someone on the other end received it. And again, you know, our laws had to be updated to recognize that that was a private communication end to end, and so and gave it, you know, the same legal protections that it would be if it was delivered in a sealed envelope. So again, now you think about the advance forward with laptop and computers. 
Um, there, you know, when ECBA first came into place in in the mid '80s, you know, there was some early you know, electronic email happening. And so there was a there was a law, this law was put into place. And right now it looks very primitive. But we have to ab- adapt, and, and I think, you know, challenging our elected officials to adapt our, our civil liberties and how those civil liberties get protected to what the technology is of today, I think is really important. And one of the messages that, you know, I think is important is that the status quo just is not acceptable anymore. That we can't keep, keep you know, allowing interpretations by law enforcement and confusion to exist in the marketplace. And so, you know, I put that into context. Uh, you know, again, what was announced by uh, Satya uh, Nadella uh, in in uh, Europe, and that is, you know, we, you know, basically we have an ongoing commitment to, Microsoft does, has an ongoing commitment to establishing trust, to driving economic growth and innovation and offering customers more choice. And and because of, again, our legal infrastructure right now, because of some of the safe harbor issues that are happening as well, uh, there is there is a situation in the marketplace that is requiring companies to make some adaptions that they wouldn't necessarily do. And so that was... I think, you know, in my this is my opinion now, that was what I think really kind of drove this is, you know, there was some of these concerns that were happening from, from Europe in light of the fact that there is this vacuum with the legal framework. And so we had to, you know, we as a Microsoft, as a company, had to respond and offer some of the choice. And so that's, you know, we have data centers all over the world, and we try mm-hmm. to place data centers close to where our customers are. But, you know, this data center in Germany, I think, was part of, you know, offering some more of that assurance on the trust side um, for for our European customers. Yeah, and and there are other countries that are apparently pressing uh, U.S. tech titans like, uh, you know, Microsoft and Facebook and Twitter and so forth to keep their clients' data on local soil. So, I mean, there was a new law in Russia that requires companies like that to store and process their data about Russian users within the country's borders. And so when you say you're being responsive to that, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, it's a win-win in one sense. I mean, you're responding to your customer needs, but you're also protecting yourself because of those loopholes and because the law hasn't caught up to the technology and and business operations of organizations and companies like yours. So, um this is really, I mean, for people that are listening, this is serious business, and this is the trend line. And so, right. you know, the reason why we did this this uh, broadcast was to talk about the fact that this is not just about Microsoft or Facebook or Twitter. It's about all of us um, and the way that we are doing business in the 21st century and to ensure that um, people that are operating here in the cloud, that the cloud is trusted, that we can still transact business and we can still thrive. So if you're out there and you aren't quite sure uh, what to do, then I would urge you to go to voicesforinnovation.org and just start uh, plugging into the information there and plugging into the initiatives and making sure that you are communicating um, the seriousness of this issue to your elected officials to get them to act. Because I think what we've talked about and what we discovered in D.C. is that some of it is just about the process of moving slowly, but it is also about law, law enforcement. Like you said, Jonathan, it, it's sort of a used to doing business a certain way um, and, and just kind of resisting the change and resisting the shift and not wanting to ramp up and get the resources that would be necessary to um, cooperate more with international sovereigns. So um, do you want to talk? Can, for, can I add um, one thing, Donia? 
Sure. Can I just, I don't mean to talk over you. One, one no. thing, and, and I think this is important about, about, you know, sort of what you were just saying or underscoring this, this whole notion of trust in tech is ideally you would want to have, you know, the technology be ubiquitous in that you can store it anywhere in the world where it makes the most sense, right? But, but here's, here's an interesting fact that, you know, so Cloud Monitor 2015 did some research and it found that 83% of all German enterprises expect their cloud provider to operate local data centers in Germany, right? So, and, and part of that reason, I think, you know, there, there's, there's trust there, there's, there's localization, but, but I think, you know, in the fact that you have this sort of absence of, of a legal framework internationally, globally, and this, this sort of vacuum of, of, you know, when it comes to law enforcement and doing investigations and, and some, of, some of these issues, you know, I think that plays into people's decisions and plays into customers' decisions about, you know, where they want to store their data, who they want to store it with, uh, et cetera. So I think it is important, and I think that, you know, if, if we're talking about, again, you know, data and the global nature of it and the fact that this is going to be driving a lot more innovation in our economy, really enabling small businesses to grow and thrive, then to your point, you know, we really got to get the, the legal framework in place, you know, in our own, in the U.S., as well as have, you know, this treaty process or, or other processes in place to ensure that there is this, you know, respect for the privacy of data uh, abroad. Hashtag trust in tech. So, okay, uh, Charles and, and or Jonathan, either one of you can jump in on this, but some of the things that we learned when we were in Washington, D.C., and, and you know, there are some, and you're going to run into this, it's going to be whether it's a, a lay person or whether it's going to be somebody in the system, their question was, well, you know, what do we care? I mean, this is a dom- we're domestic, we're the United States, that sounds like an international issue, why should we care? And, and so we had our own responses to that because obviously we understand the business implications, but either or both of you, can you just offer some comments out to um, the audience regarding why it isn't just an international issue that we should not care about? Oh, I, I can jump in and just say, could you imagine what it would be like if you had to think about whether or not your data was stored in Washington or Oregon or Idaho and had an artificial border that made it? I mean, that would be silly, wouldn't it? Right now we can do services and we can do business with any company anywhere in the United States, and it's not going to matter to us if they're in, you know, if they're based out of Colorado or they're based out of San Francisco or they're based out of Washington State. If you turn it on and the service works and it meets your needs, that's the defining factor. And that's the way you want the Internet to operate. And if you create a, an artificial border at the border of the United States that says, wait a second, you know, your services are going to work this way, and as soon as you get outside, then we're perpetuating, uh, we're, we're taking away one of the great advantages of the Internet in that it is borderless and that you can leverage services that work seamlessly across the world. It's something that's meant to bring us together. It improves communications and it reduces barriers. And I think this legal issue is creating artificial barriers that would diminish that effect and create problems in the long run. And I think it's, it's, it behooves us to get in front of it as quickly as possible. And I don't think there's a lot of people. I mean, some people are like, well, really, that's a problem? And I think they just, they're just unaware that it's been an issue 
um, that, you know, because there's just so many other things, I guess, that people have to pay attention to. And I guess it would be one of those things where they would naturally think it would just get worked out as quickly as possible. But, of course, the problem is the political system doesn't move fast enough sometimes, and that's part of our issue. We need to get this thing moving very quickly because it will have an impact on our innovation economy if we're not careful. Any comments, Jonathan? Yeah, no, let me just add to that, and Charles eloquently put. um, So a couple things I just want to add to that. So first, um, and and kind of the impetus of VFI, what I touched on earlier, you, you know, small business voices matter. Uh, they matter a lot with elected officials. Uh, and part of what inspires me about VFI and why I'm very passionate about the, the, uh, the community is because, you know, so often, especially, you know, in Washington, D.C., you know, a number of the members of Congress are hearing from big companies like Microsoft, but they don't necessarily hear for, directly from their constituents who are being impacted by these same rules that are impacting the larger companies. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what I hope, you know, Charles and Donia, you can comment on this as well, but I know that others who attended this trip, you know, found that, and some, sometimes to their amazement, <laughs> that a number of the elected officials, one, didn't understand this issue um, or were not aware of it. Uh, two, had questions about how this would impact, you know, small businesses. You know, those who understood kind of understood how it would impact a Microsoft or a Google or some of the larger companies. But how, how does it impact your business, your customers? What's, what does this mean for you? And, uh, you know, because, you know, small businesses reside in the members' districts, because, you know, small businesses are the drivers of the economy, creating jobs, especially technology small businesses, members really want to hear from you. And not only that, but they want to work with you. Uh, you know, again, when generally when elected officials think about Microsoft, they don't think about the partner ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes when I've sat in these meetings, we there's this education piece. And I recall one elected official that we met with uh, in Minnesota uh, said, oh, I didn't realize I had Microsoft in my district because there was a partner who was with us sitting there talking about what their company does in her district. And so, you know, these these are important conversations to have. A lot of the elected officials have a lot of things on their plate. They're, you know, oftentimes they can't be expected to be experts on this, but you are. You know, you as your small business leaders, as technology leaders, you are the experts. They want to hear from you and they rely on hearing from you. So I think, again, the more momentum that we can build for this, and part of what we try to do with VFI is make it very easy for you to write your elected official, uh, to connect with your elected official. Um, and I'm willing to work with you know anybody that, that would like to do that, whether you're a Microsoft partner or not. And you brought up a really important point about being a trusted advisor for your elected yeah. official and, and certainly making them aware of not only things that impact your business, but that impact business 
in general in their districts because sometimes it kind of flows from that. And you made another great comment about going into the area and realizing in D.C. that, you know, there's always a perception, and I've spent my entire life in the political arena, so I understand the distinction between what the media tells you is happening on the Hill and what's really happening. And so there is a a misperception um, by a lot of people that, you know, Congress or, you know, they're out of touch, they don't care, they don't want to hear from us, they just want to kind of go and do their own thing. And really the opposite is true. They really want to hear. They get kind of get isolated up there, um, and they do want to hear from businesses and constituents, especially, you know, the closer to their districts, the better. So, And then the other thing was, uh, for us, I mean, we, we travel a lot, and we bring our um, child with us, and sometimes it's just deliberate, and sometimes it's just happenstance. But in this particular instance, I mean, we wanted her to come back and experience D.C. at an age where it was actually something she can be uh, aware of. I mean, she was younger before, and so we wanted to turn it into sort of a civics lesson so that she could understand what was involved in the process and start doing that early, because we have a lot of apathy in our society where people aren't even voting, much less paying attention. So there is that uh, venue through VFI for people that are of, you know, adults to start plugging into and understanding things that impact them, and I think it's important. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of bring up and get get some thoughts on from you and Charles is about CISA, um, Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act. Uh, while we were in D.C., the Senate passed it, and uh, basically it improved cybersecurity in the United States, uh, but through information, enhanced sharing of information about cybersecurity threats um, between public and private sector, um, government, technology, and manufacturing companies. And, of course, some people think it's dangerous legislation because it increases the vulnerability of per- personal private information, um, and it's shared across seven governmental agencies, including the NSA and local police. And so opponents believe that this gives companies broad immunity to spy on or launch countermeasures against potentially inter- innocent parties. But, you know, as I've said uh, in small groups and before, there's a real and growing uh, cyber threat, and we had something of a similar uh, information sharing uh, think tank here in our own backyard with Mike Hamilton, who used to be the chief information security officer for City of Seattle. And it was a very successful uh, interagency cooperation on Internet security efforts um, that gave them the opportunity to um, correlate across geography and information regarding attack surfaces and incident alerts and so forth. So do you guys want to talk about uh, CISA at all? Jonathan, you want to jump in? I, I could. Well, let me, let, let me just so Microsoft. We we haven't made a statement on CISA or any other any, on any of the other information sharing legislation at this point. And you know, ultimately, and regardless of the final outcome of CISA, it is important to take new steps that enable information sharing around cyber risks. But our commitment is to protecting customer data, and that remains the same. And so we're not going to release customer data absent of a lawful order that identifies specific accounts, similar to what we were talking about with the Ireland case. So that, that's where we are on CISA at this time. Okay, fair enough. Any comments so, from you, Charles? So what I, okay, so what I can say is, A, um, I invited Mike Hamilton uh, to this conversation because, like you say, he was dealing with, this, from the Seattle side, the uh, interagency effort to try to lock down their infrastructure because this is my soundbite, is there, there is no security without privacy, and without privacy, you don't have security. They really go hand in hand. Uh, you have to protect user data because within that user data is, is valuable information. If it's not protected, then you can't truly be secure. 
And on the other side of it, uh, we have to protect our infrastructure in a secure way uh, so that, you know, when, when there's actors trying to hack into SCADA systems to con- that can control dams, control electrical systems, control um, power plants, uh, sewage plants, water plants, all of our critical infrastructure, you know, the concern is a lot of the stuff is, is very at risk. And I think CISA is speaking to trying to create uh, broader patterns uh, to investigate and protect that infrastructure. Uh, it's not really directed towards, you know, hacking into people's emails and, and reading them. It's more about, you know, accessing firewall logs so that you can see, look, you know, we're getting this pattern of attacks on all of our infrastructure from, from here and here and here. Let's deal with this. Or we're seeing this same type of malware being delivered. And I know uh, uh, Microsoft, uh, bless you guys for doing this, uh, have been very active in, in, in trying to uh, tamp down and deal with security measures, uh, opening up offices with the FBI overseas uh, to try to prosecute and protect because you don't want it to be just because somebody's overseas you know, that they have carte blanche to hack into your, try to, or attempt to hack into your system. So uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. And we obviously have to address security as well as privacy. So that's my take on it. Yeah, okay. I, I would just add one other thing. I would add one other thing. It, it, you know, this is a really complicated issue. And um, But if you watch the uh, presidential race that's going on, uh, both, you know, the Republican side, the Democratic side, you know, cybersecurity is top of mind for, for a lot of the candidates. So I would encourage, you know, folks to really pay attention to what they're saying around these issues. And for those, you know, who are interested or, or who are involved with presidential campaigns or any other campaign at, at any level, I would say, yeah, I encourage you, to, again, you know, as a trusted advisor, insert yourself, talk about some of these issues, talk about, you know, there, there is the data privacy that we've been talking about that is, you know, maybe, you know, has equal or greater impact than some of these cybersecurity issues as well. So, you know, the, the, it's important. I, I would say that, you know, a number of these technology policy issues could come up during the course of the campaign season. And those are opportunities to raise it as well. So, you know, for those that are joining us, because it's kind of the numbers are moving in and out here, we're talking about the LEADS Act, which is law enforcement access to data stored abroad. Kind of some fine points, uh, just they'll help restore, you know, this this, uh, act will help to restore trust in tech by ensuring that digital communications and data receive the same privacy protections as paper letters and documents, court-approved search warrants, similar to laws governing access to physical documents. No-brainer. Fair rules for government to access data stored abroad, protecting Americans' privacy and setting a model for other nations. Strengthening international cooperation through mutual legal assistance treaties with other nations. All no-brainers. This is not an issue just about Microsoft. It affects us all. Uh, VFI is a great vehicle for keeping in touch with this issue and others which impact innovation. So you take a seat at the table because you know what they say. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So time is of the essence. You need to do it today. And, in fact, I would say do it now. So um, with that in mind, Jonathan, what's the best way to engage VFI for information, answers to questions, continue the conversation with the community? Sure. Thank you. Um, So best way, I would encourage those who are listening to uh, sign up for Voices for Innovation. Um, Sign up for, you know, just to get our newsletter or some of our information. We are at uh, www.voicesforinnovation, all one word, .org. 
you can find us on the web there. We also have uh, Twitter at VFIorg, as well as a Facebook community. Uh, so that that's um, you know some places to start. I would also encourage you on our website. We have uh, an action center that enables you to write to your elected officials. So right now, you know, our main campaign, not surprising, is around the Leads Act as we're trying to build momentum for that. Uh, so you can, when you come to our website, you can click on a link uh, and you can write your elected official. All you need to do is put in your address so that we can connect you with you with the right elected official. Uh, we have some suggested text in a letter, but you can write you know, whatever you want. It's editable. Uh, we try to make it, again, easy as possible for you to write your elected official, but we also, you know, and I think elected officials also really value getting personalized messages from their constituents. So I always encourage people to personalize their, their letters uh, when they're writing. Uh, and then finally, uh, if you you know are interested or want to get involved at a at a deeper level, uh, you can email me. Uh, I am at j letter j f r i e b at microsoft dot com, and I'd be happy to uh, connect you uh, to the VFI community as well. And of course, Sonia awesome. and Charles are are great VFI members, so they can you know connecting with them as well uh, is excellent. So. No, oh, that's right. Yeah, you guys can always reach us through our Facebook page um, or any other contact information, which we'll kind of give out again when we're doing the uh, the outro and the wrap-up. So um, any questions you ever have, if you want us to point you in the right direction based upon whoever's on our show, we're always happy to do that. So any other comments from uh, Charles or uh, no? Well, I, anything I else? Say, gonna... I was going to say one of the things is, um, it's not so much that there's big opposition to this, but it's our apathy we have to watch out for. It's our, our lack of urgency in action. So I really do stress it's really important for people who haven't acted on this issue before, who work with technology, that realize they, they see the cloud as the future, to work with VFI and organizations. And by the way, Jonathan, the D.C. trip was awesome. It was it was everything that I'd hoped and, and more. Uh, it was really, I think, very effective and really had a great time. And uh, with our daughter in tow, uh, meeting uh, legislators and senators, they really did respond to the fact that we were small businesses. And they were also really, you know, having our daughter there, they were like, wow, what do you do? And having her part of that conversation, they really love to hear from constituents. They really love to hear. And, you know, and... Fortunately, they were very involved, but you know what? They deal with thousands of bills, so not all the time do they know what's going on on one particular matter. And uh, so our reaching out and, and others reaching out to their legislators and representatives is really very meaningful and helps raise awareness and helps make this issue go faster for all of us. So I can't stress that enough. And the last thing I was going to say is the other side of this coin is we're dealing with privacy, security, cloud stuff. We also have to empower people to have the actual educational tools to leverage these tools. That's STEM education. Jonathan, thank you, by the way, for mentioning that in the beginning. Uh, we are cycling back to WST on that uh, November 19th with our STEM conference in uh, Pulsebo at the Clearwater Casino Resort. Uh, it's a luncheon. If you are interested, we would love to have people who are listening to this there and uh, be part of the solution because it's really about trying to adapt education and and people in industry to help work, help change things so that we can be prepared for the future. So that's my wrap-up. Okay, Great. sounds good. 
Well, Thank you know, you. we're the kind can of I, people Can I wrap are... on one thing? Can I wrap yeah, on one thing, too, just on absolutely. STEM? So, first of all, Charles and Donia's daughter, they started the trip. She, she, was, she was amazing. I was so happy that you brought her along. Uh, but on STEM education, because we didn't really get a chance, to, and I would right. you know, love the opportunity to come back and, and talk more about it. It's a really critical issue. Um, and I think an important issue to, to raise again, you know, in the 2016 campaign. Uh, but, you know, the Hour of Code um, is coming mm-hmm. up. National Computer Science Education Week is the first part of December. I don't have the dates in front of me. Uh, but, you know, that is you know, something VFI also tries to do. We try to encourage, you know, the opportunity to give back, to be civically engaged. And, you know, I think the Hour of Code is, is a great way to do that as well. So we'll have some information on our website about that uh, in the next uh, week or so. So, again, I encourage people to uh, participate in that as well. It's a great way to give back to the community as well as raise the awareness about the need for more computer science education, more technology education in general in our schools and in our communities. And I'll pick you so back So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, sure. And, we'll, we'll, and I would like to have you back because we want to talk about TEALS and a couple other things as well um, in terms of fixing the talent gap because it's very important. And uh, Hour of Code, for people that are listening, got a couple of questions on that from the uh, chat, code.org, or I think you can also search for Hour of Code, and it will all come up. There's quite a few tutorials there. Um, the way it works is uh, your school, your club, anybody can get involved and host an Hour of Code. Libraries are doing it, Boys and Girls Clubs, Girl Scouts, whatever. Um, you can, um, and, and, and it's any age. There's no limitation on that. But it is a strong focus on getting youth involved at a young age so that they understand a critical skill that is necessary for them to function in our society. We are actually hosting an hour code on the 12th of December, I believe, and it is going to be at Western Washington University's Center at Olympic College in Paulsbo. Um, right now we've got about 80 uh, students signed up. We're hoping to have you know anywhere upwards of 200 students and just fill the college. But it's one of those things where you can go to code.org and and see all of the events that are taking place around the world, and you can either participate in one of those uh, closer to you, or you can actually do something on your own. But um, very important, as Jonathan and Charles have both said. So um, if you guys have something else for the order, we'll just wrap up. We don't care if it's less than an hour. Any other final comments, guys? Thank you, Donya. I think you covered the, the highlights. Okay, yep, thank good. you again for... Thank you again for the opportunity. And and one thing to add on our code, at least I've heard this pitch from code.org, you know, they're looking for people between 5 and 95. So any age can do the hour of code. Awesome. So thanks to Charles and Jonathan, obviously, for joining us this afternoon. Thanks to all of you. This live broadcast now reverts to a podcast. You can listen to it here, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in. And you can do that on desktop, laptop, whatever you got, even while you're driving your car. Follow us on Facebook, backslash, Sammy Tommy Roger 8, talk radio. And this is Donya Keating. I'm signing off at about 2.45, Thursday, November 12th. See you next time.